Well, it's a dynamic duo, we'll be back again. Nothing back with DJ, you better pack it in. You're lacking sense, trying to tangle with us. Scoop of a big black booties in the back of the bus to smack you. You're stealing your lunch, money for such. Ready to feel like just a touch. Only by the end of the day, that's understandable. What can I say? You got strong man to be. Mind, mind, So you'd be pretty tired, wouldn't you? Haven't you been watching 24 hours of motorsport? Oh, I, uh, I had a few hours, Kip, but uh, yeah, um, <laughs> doesn't feel like it. And <laughs> you nod off at like 3.30 in the morning and you wake up again at <laughs> nine. I've been, I watched that race. There's a, there's an ultra marathon that this dude just invented in his backyard. It's called the Backyard Ultra. And they have to do six kilometres every hour. Well, around the backyard. So it's just like a- Around the hill's hoist. Basically, around his backyard, yeah. So you do six Ks and then- Whatever time you got left, you can rest and hydrate, and and it's basically whoever you keep going until there's one person. One person does a lap by themselves, and that person wins. <laughs> but it's the weirdest race, right? Because every other race, you know, you finish, and the, that that's when the most people are there, right? That's when everyone's yeah. cheering and up. And this race is like, there's two people there. <laughs> Everyone else has gone home because, like, you know, most people go ten, eleven hours, twelve hours, or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't have the gene or whatever it is, the particular neuro fucking spiciness that makes that stuff seem attractive or interesting. Mm. I could not think of anything less interesting. <laughs> I was just more thinking of like because some of them probably look a little bit like you after a couple of hours kip in the afternoon. Overweight and drooling slightly. <laughs> the drooling slightly, sure. Um, Yes. Anyway, there is one in, in New Zealand if it ever takes your fancy. So, uh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> ah, should we talk about some NBA? I want to travel six kilometres in an hour. I'll drive a car. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe we just panic bash around his backyard. Uh, that might be fun. Well, that's it. Some of the trails look like they have been knocked over with a paddock basher, so. Well, surely they need a pace car. They're not exactly a paved road, that's for sure. Well, are we? Are the Heat going to pull one last trick out and and make it six games, do you think, or is it dusted? I really thought that we were just getting alternating corrections to corrections, adjustments to adjustments to adjustments, yeah. so the games would alternate. But with the Nuggets getting that game four, it kind of feels like the Heat might have run out of adjustments. And you never want to yeah, say that about someone like Spo, do- but you've got limited. There's only so many things you can make, you know, the, the same number of puzzle pieces <laughs> fit into. I saw HP Basketball retweeted an angry Heat fan, you know, railing against Spo going, he needs to play Highsmith more. <laughs> and he, HP Basketball said, can you just read that back to yourself, mate? <laughs> just read that read that out loud. And then and then sort Look of- at the names. Yeah. Look at the names you're using yeah. there. He needs to play more Highsmith and less Gabe fucking Vincent or something. It's like- Vincent. And less Caleb Martin. The difference between all the other series and this one, though, is it looked like Denver did their homework. Like, that game four was like, well, we expect them to make this adjustment. You know, they're going to trap Murray, so we're going to do this. And 
they just seem, well, A, they've got more weapons, but the Celtics had shitloads of weapons. Like, the Celtics had enough weapons to beat the Heat, but the Nuggets just look way more prepared for this. Like The, the Nuggets also don't have that, you know, five to ten minutes a game where they just switch off and stop paying attention mm. and get distracted and have a run that beats them. Well, the, the other thing I was thinking about watching that game for is if you've got two guys that encourage running and cutting and moving off the ball, when those two guys are sort of n- not bringing the juice because I, I don't actually think Murray and Jokic had bad games, it was more that the Heat just decided that they would load up on those two. But then you have Gordon and and Bruce Brown handling the ball and everyone's still cutting and moving around, right? So, the the passes are there, the, the, the wrinkles are there for, for those guys, even if it's not the, the big two handling the ball. And that's what it just seemed like. Um, you know, Gordon particularly just, just looked like he was having an absolute fucking ball out there. Yeah. And in game three, you had the Christian Brown or Braun game. It was like increasingly yep. obscure bit part players were required to score a big bag of points and win games, which seems to be the story of every finals is that, you know, because all the big, uh, the big players kind of get cancelled out, it ends up being these bit part players, but it was getting, it was getting so obscure with Christian Brown or Braun, depending on how you pronounce him. Either way, he sounds like another red state Pornhub search term like Christian Wood, but he's, <laughs> it, it's, it was like the least expected fucking game turning performance imaginable. And at some stage, you know, if Miami were going to win, it's going to end up with fucking UD going for 40, 20 and, 15 in game seven or something like that. But yeah. They just don't, they just don't have it. They just, they just don't. Suppose there's two schools of thought. One is that they've used all their adjustments up. They've used all their, their, their fucking puzzle pieces up. The other one is that Miami have to be staring defeat in the face in order to start trying. They are an extremely weird team, and uh, and we saw that in, we saw yeah. that earlier. We saw them yeah. we saw them lose lose the first play in and be three minutes away from losing the second play in, and then strung together ridiculous number of wins to the point where they were three nil up in the conference finals, and then suddenly sh- you know kind of lost interest for for three games, and then came back in game seven and and, and smashed heads yeah, in. It, it's, uh, it's like they can only summon the ridiculous psychological level they need to get to in order to completely outplay teams that are more talented than them. And they have to really pick their spots in that. I don't think Miami are playing bad, but we, we said before this series started that the bill that they'd paid to get to this- I mean, this- Jimmy Butler's playing less good- yeah, but the, like we, we said, we even said before before this series started that the bill that they'd paid to get there, you know, they'd paid the devil to get into the finals, and that that bill would come, you know, that would bill would come calling, and you never had a better example of it than that period where Jokic had five fouls and Butler and Bam really pushed hard to try and crack that lead, right? You know, to flip it back to to, to Miami's, and they just didn't have the juice. They just did not have the the energy levels to be able to really bring the hammer. And they tried. Like, they went at Murray. They went at, you know, they went at the small guys and they got it back to five, I think. And then Murray hit a three and it was almost like, oh, this is just too hard, you know. We- we've got to we've got to get like an eight or nine point lead before Jokic comes back and we're, mm. and we're still down nine. Um, it, it just seems like they've given their all and the other team is better. Like, I, I don't think it's- I, I don't know why it's a bad thing to say Denver's just better because well, they also, are. I just think they're a better team. Also, even if you said Denver are just as good, Denver are bigger. Yeah. And like was was it Jack Gibson who said, you know, a good big bloke will always beat a good little bloke? 
Um, or or okay. it might be a boxing term. I'm not sure if it was Jack Gibson. Piss off, Jack Gibson. Um, there's no substitute for size at the end. <laughs> you know, when you're playing basketball yeah. and when you're just fucking taller than people and you can see, you can see passing lanes that other, that other dudes can't do. Uh, it's, they've just run up against a team that's almost as clever and more talented and almost as well coached. Yeah, the, the, the adjustment thing is really interesting. I was watching a little YouTube clip about how uh, Denver went from playing the zone in, in the second game to playing it in the third game and the way that they moved Jokic like, I don't know, two and a half metres, but it was just enough that Bam couldn't stunt off him and then get back. So when Jokic got it at that pivot point, and that's why um, Christian Brown got all those cuts because it's like an extra step and a half that the defender's got to make to get to him and that step and a half opens up another. It's just like it's been a really fascinating sort of uh, move, counter move, counter move. But it does feel like Malone's playing with a few extra pieces, right? Yeah. But they've been really good. They just like like you said about the big thing. Like every time they've had an opportunity to use Gordon like a hammer and just crush those little guys, he's just been fucking brutal down in the post and dunking all over little. Like they're they're they're, they're not sort of going to that advantage. Every now and again, as soon as they get that mismatch, they're just feeding him and, and you know, like either he's either getting an assist or a, or an easy dunk or an easy layup out of it. It's it's just – it's really interesting compared to that Celtic series where it didn't feel like they were interested in pushing their natural advantages at all. It's sort of like, oh, let's just roll out and play the same way we always yeah, do. Yeah, and let's not do any adjustments or any coaching. Yeah. It's interesting in, in light of Gordon came into the league as a – Offensive weapon and a and a dunk contest winner and all those sorts of things and and here he is giving mm. quotes about joining the the Nuggets to be a defenseman which is which is a hockey term as much as anything for a you know a, a defender yeah. who occasionally chips on the off- offensive side but that's not really what they're there for at all. Yeah, I don't know if you've read those stories about him this week, but like because I always thought he was a chosen one sort of uh, high draft pick guy that's sort of expected to be. The playmaker, but he's a he's a younger brother, right? He's the one that, yeah, like his his older brother was the superstar that he sort of trailed around to all the tournaments with, and you know just sort of tagged along until he was middle high school when he started to to bloom. So he hasn't even had that superstar from a young age coddling that a lot a lot of those uh, score first guys have, you know. Yeah, like there's definitely front offices that will be pitching. Uh, miscast superstars and saying, you know, you could be the next Iguodala or Aaron Gordon and, you know, win rings and, and have a really good time doing it. And you might get a little bit less than the superstars, but, you know, do you want to be Trey Young or do you want to be Aaron Gordon? And that's a really interesting pitch. And I wonder whether there's a, a sort of tier below the, the real gun superstars that you can make that pitch to or... Maybe not. Maybe it might require a certain type of mindset and- Oh, look, like- it definitely does. I mean, you're not- if People who, you know, proto-James Hardens aren't going to fall for that kind of shit. No. But, I mean, essentially, that's that's kind of what Jimmy- where, I mean, Jimmy Butler's found his way to being that dude in Miami, but it wasn't- I, I don't yeah. know what, to what extent um, Miami pitched him on that or whether he just kind of figured out that's what it was. Although, unfortunately, you know, even though Jimmy is definitely not James Harden- um, the end result's kind of similar, though, isn't it? It's running out of fuel halfway through the series and just being fucking. And, and, and uh, it's. I'm not saying he's the same player, but Jimmy's not going to get the same absolute fucking 
uh, reputation demolishment that James Harden gets, and quite rightly so. But it, it is it is interesting how people's how people's reputations are viewed very differently depending on the narrative around them proceeding, whatever whatever they end up doing. I, I think those Rockets teams were way more talented, though. Like you, you're never going to look at any of those Heat sides that have made the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals and gone, man, that was a stack side, and they were just you know they just couldn't bring it. Like they're always overachieving sides. They're never. I'd love to see Spo with a team like even OKC sort of level of talent. Like this Heat's nowhere near. Doesn't have. I know they're a better team right now, but but they don't have the level of of talent really. Yeah, like, but I mean, sort of maximize. Mike Sure on on the baseball podcast he does with Joe Posnanski made the kind of sarcastic point, but it's kind of got a little bit of truth to it. In that, you know, they do it all with, you know, these undrafted guys and guys at the end of the bench and, you know, 30th draft picks. And to a certain extent, it's because only guys who are on the fringes of the NBA are willing to do the shit that Pat Riley and Spo demand yeah, of them. And Spo if you're a superstar, yeah. you're not doing that shit. And, you know, it's rare for, mm. a, for a high well, draft pick like a Jimmy Butler to want to be that guy. You really have to be wired. You know, if you look at, you know, the balance of high draft picks, across the last sort of 10 years, there aren't too many Jimmy Butler mindset dudes. And and I think that's instructive. It'd be interesting to go through like the top 50 in the NBA and go, okay, who would actually relish being traded to the Heat? Because I, ha- I have definitely heard stories of players going to their allegedly agents. Dame Lillard, but I just I'm just not convinced. He's he's a yeah. I mean he's a he's a strong mentality dude, but I'm not sure if he's they're not going to accept his attitude on defense. Maybe his attitude on defense changes when he actually has other defenders around him. Well, uh, this is probably the 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 real revelation of the the finals is that Denver have been playing really well defensively, and guys like Michael Porter Jr., who it, it like everything that we sort of knew about him was if the ball wasn't going in the hoop, he would drop his head, and he's been fucking battling for rebounds and and like you know, wrestling people and trying to box out and doing all the little things that we just did not expect him to do. Like, I I sort of thought if Michael Porter was going to be any factor in this series, it would be, you know, hitting seven threes in a game or something. And he, he just hasn't had a game like that. And it has not been no, that. But, but he, in fact, part of the reason they, they lost game two was that he was absolutely absent without leave. And, like, he hasn't been good. I'm not saying he's no. been a great player, but he hasn't been he hasn't been a player that Malone's had to go, well, fuck, I can only play this guy seven minutes a game, right? He's still getting a contribution out of him. Like, the guy is still busting his ass. Um, there was a putback layout where he just, like, he looked like Jokic, like battling underneath for the rebound, and you know they're like second and third and fourth efforts. Um, did you see that story about the brace that he has to wear and how he can't flex his foot if he doesn't wear this brace? He can't run because his foot won't flex. That that dude does not sound in a good way. I do not think he will be having another contract after this he's, one. He's here for a good time or a long time. Yeah, which is a little bit sad for him. Uh, and it turns yeah. out it, it would it would appear that all those teams that passed on him in the draft possibly were right. Given that he was all the medical red flags, it turns out maybe. Yeah, he definitely doesn't look like he's worth the money that they're paying him. But then you know he he did have big games in the like in the other finals. Yeah, helped get him just there. not in the finals finals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know that's that's true of a lot yeah, of people. You know that's true of friggin' Kevin Love. Although Kevin Love has been better since he helped win game two for them. But you know 
again, you, you've only got a certain number of shots to fire in terms of adjustments, and I think Spain might have run out of shots, but it's, at least it's nice of the Nuggets to wrap this up before you have to leave. So the, there was a couple of other little interesting, um, you know, sniffing the wind. Developments. Seeing where the league is going, seeing how things are changing. Yep. Yeah, well, one, one was that the, like we always talk about when you have any success, whether it's, you know, not nece- not not just winning the finals, but like take Memphis, who've had really good success in developing their draft picks, you know, and, and and making more out of them than what they probably should be. And the guy that was seen as a fair chunk of that just got hired as a, as a head coach. So, I was uh, like, I, I'm convinced that- with this new CBA, you you cannot fuck around with your draft picks. You've got mm. to maximise the development you can get out of them. Like you can't do what Golden State did with the, the, their three high draft picks in the last couple of years, where they basically whiffed on Wiseman and maybe Moody and, and ma- Kaminga ma- might Kaminga turn into is, something. Kaminga's, I thought they, yeah, I don't know. Kaminga wasn't a. Where did, where did they draft Kaminga? Six, I think, pretty high. Was it six? Okay. From my, in my head, it was 12. So, um, I, I th- no, I think they could have taken Giddy. I'm pretty sure they could they have would, taken yeah, Giddy. Yeah, but they're never, they're never getting up. They're never taking more guards, you know, more, more ball-playing guards with the dudes they have there. There was kind of an element of drafting for, you know, quote-unquote <laughs> need. It didn't really work out. But for, for as long as Steph and Clay are there, they're not, they're not drafting any potential superstar guards. He went seven. Yes. Moody went- 14, and Wiseman was two. Mm. Now, you know, Wiseman that's... is Monty Williams' problem. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, Wiseman isn't necessarily a behavioural issue. He just might not be anywhere near as good. I mean, and he, but Wiseman barely played basketball in college. Yeah. Because um, there was some um, fucking dodgy college fucking money thing going yeah, he, on. He's a, he's a COVID pick, right? Like, where, where you basically taking a shot in the wind because they couldn't work him out and they couldn't do, you know- yeah. There wasn't much to wasn't much to go on, but they they did whiff on it. Yeah, but it's weird that a lot of other you know a lot of other teams did actually manage to make sensible picks. Yeah, and Edwards turned out to be pretty good, didn't he? Yeah, and then the other one was Denver traded. Um, Denver traded picks now for picks down the road, right? You know, because they need to re they need to get more Christian Browns to replace Bruce Brown, who's going to be going, and you know. Maybe in a couple of years, when KCP gets another contract, they won't be able to keep him either. So you know they need more of those success stories in development. But to do that, you got to have picks, and they've got no picks left because they traded them all for uh, you know the guys that they've got on this team, which is you know de- definitely worth it, <laughs> including Thomas Bryant, who they're not actually using. Yeah. So yeah, that that was interesting. And then OKC were very clever because they've got a million picks now, which they can't use all of them. So they basically traded them down the road, yep. right? T- traded a first a first round now when they don't need them to to one down the road and around the same section of the draft, I guess. Trading a little bit on Denver not being quite as good down well, the track. Like yeah, the, yeah. Th- there's th- there'll be a dip eventually, won't there? Um, Inevitably, yeah. So yeah, is that all the? Coaching jobs filled now. It is, isn't Does it? Toronto have one. I haven't been paying a lot of attention. Yeah, Toronto got the Memphis guy that I was right. talking about. Okay, who was that? Um, uh, he is a uh, Serbian. It's I'm going to Google it because I will get it wrong. Well, given that I'm been immersed in fucking World Test Championship <laughs> and Motorsport and uh, Lamont 24 Hours, I, I have not been paying a lot of attention. Darko Rajovic is his name. Free Darko. Never heard of him. Uh, it's so, funny, another another coaching season where all of the big names, you know, the media guys, the Mark Jacksons and so forth, yeah. you know, talk a lot and, and then and don't get picked up at all, which is 
it's almost like they put their names out there. Jeff Van Gundy has done this once or twice. They put their name in the ring just to make sure that they're seen as relevant. In reality, they're never actually likely to be uh, uh, to give up the huge amounts of money and no consequences they have for talking shit badly in a booth or, or not even in a booth, just on a sideline. <laughs> no, I don't think anything's going to be uh, Stephen A. Smith in the post game going that Jokic doesn't post up much yeah. and Jay Williams and JJ Reddick like, going, what? Yeah, you know, you don't watch him much, do you? But I'm just amazed by how how comfortable the East Coast American media are with saying, oh, this is the first time I've ever watched Jokic. I'm like, you're a fucking basketball analyst. How? I mean, an yeah, analyst no. might be a bit rich, but <laughs> you present a basketball show on a fucking network yeah. and you're saying you've never, you know, that fucking Shaq meme, you know, my apologies, I wasn't that familiar with your game, to the two-time MVP. I mean, I know they're on late at night, but pull fucking finger, you have one job. Yeah, well, like, literally we are on the other side of the world and watch it through a mishmash of KO and League Pass and YouTube highlights and stuff like that. Having said that, it's easier for us to watch West Coast basketball than it is for them because West Coast basketball uh, is a glorious yeah, afternoon kind of uh, matinee performance kind of thing. But I don't really watch any basketball live. It's all on replay. Yeah, I just like we. How long have we been talking about him? Like I can remember. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about when Nurkic got traded, and they were like, "Oh yeah, that you know that they're clearing the space for this massive guy that can pass." I'm pretty sure that we had a chat about it then. Well, we would have been because, because Nurkic was going to your side because they were both. We're aware they both they had these two dudes who kind of did the same thing. Mm. Yeah, but yes, it's pretty pretty funny seeing people that get paid a magnitude more than us, and supposedly. Know a magnitude more than us, and probably do about certain parts of yeah, the game, but probably better connected. I suppose the only not, thing you can say in his defense but, is that he also does like morning. He's, he's, he does morning television, which means there is no time to watch the games, Western Conference games before work. Look, look, the other thing is, it's is not exactly obscure, right? Yes, it's not like he's just popped up this season. He's won it's, two MVPs. It's not like it's, it's like you didn't bother to watch. It's not bed. like you said, like oh, I'm not familiar with Shaden Sharp's game. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah, sure, fucking, that, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's preposterous. Crab yeah. Rangoon, things of that nature. So you got um, you guys picked up Frank Vogel, which is it kind yeah, of, if that's... you look if you looked in the dictionary against solid, that would be like Frank Vogel getting signed by the Suns as head coach. It's probably the dictionary definition of solid. Solid is what he projects, and with that level of stardom on offense, solid is probably all you need. You just need somebody to string together a a defense out of the bits that you've got, and. uh and I see he's getting the band back together with Fizz as as he's uh, as he's two. I see losing an assistant coach in CP three though, which is uh, you know an interesting development. They paid the lead assistant though. He's now the highest paid assistant in the league. The guy that was already there. I can't remember who that was. That the, the guy that was rumored to get the, the Suns job, and then they hired. Um, hired Vogel and then Vogel brought in Fisdale. Yeah, paid this guy, overpaid this guy to stay as the assistant. Yeah, that's that's that's. I'm not, I'm not sure about that franchise, like getting their shit together. I don't know. Look, whenever it you seems put, a bit weird. If you put like a these mortgage guys have a whiff of tech bro to them, you know that they, they tend to yeah. like want to move far and break stuff, and then they realise that what they've broken is their team. Um. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, who knows what – we don't know how, what any of these people are like as coaches. Uh, we don't know whether any of them are like as assistant coaches or as, as fucking as, – as leads. We just don't know what, what they're like in the room. 
you know, what the, what they like to deal with, how smart they actually are, and how much is just narrative drawn up by their fucking mates in the media. Kevin Young was the was the assistant that got got paid. Kevin. So Kevin. <laughs> um yeah, anyway. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be stoked that Denver win the chip if they get it done tomorrow. I, I really like their players. I like the way the teams put together. I think it's been a very well built team in terms of the moves that the front office made. Like if you are gonna build around a superstar, they've done it in a pretty good way. It's not like Denver's a fucking you know destination <laughs> for free agents to go to. So I see your wife has another email. Uh, yes, I should figure out how to. This is, this is such fucking George Carl being interviewed on Zoom kind of area. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite irritating. Yeah. It's quite shambolic. We're normally better than this. Uh, tonight we're not, though, because we can't be asked. Uh, we're fighting it in just Bloody like the- windows. Uh, the, 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 oh, it's, that's the other problem. It's fucking windows. Piece of windows. shit. Bullshit fucking operating system. Uh, what else is going on? Cameron Green might have DRSed his way out of a, a big uh, Indian deal because it seems like the Indian fans are not happy with him <laughs> at all for having caught a cricket ball legally. Well, I'm trying to explain to to my young boys that you know t- touches is sort of like based on a system of honesty. If you call a touch, unless the unless the ref sees you miss the touch, then you you play the call right. Hmm. And cricket's a little bit like that. Uh, like, if the guy says he caught the ball, then you that you sort of go off that summation and that let let the video prove it otherwise. And I think the video can prove it otherwise, and the guy can still be convinced he caught the ball yeah. because at that speed and that reaction time. Um, and you can have especially you can freeze him, frames like, with with you know the ball on the grass, and you can f- freeze frame with the fingers under the ball, and it's all kind of fucking yeah. <sighs> In the end, that's not you know if they win or lose this test match, and we don't know at the time of recording whether they do or not. They'll be chasing two eighty on the final day with seven wickets in hand on a maybe a, a deteriorating but not not rapidly so oval pitch. No, st- still look like they're scoring all right yesterday, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's India, it's the last day on a test match. The, the old days of anything over 300 being a guaranteed win for the, the, the team defending are long gone. That shit's just not the case anymore. I'm expecting I'm expecting India to win this, actually, but uh, that's also because I have no faith in Australia. But the problem is that they, they're capable of fantastic performances, but they're also capable of just um, dismal underperformance. I'm not sure Nathan Lyon's going to do that much, but watch him take seven wickets. Scott Boland has been... Good yep. in patches, but he's also, you know, he can't be really depended on because he is, he is a bit fucking inconsistent. He's a bit, he's a little bit like, um, Sean Tate, but like a more, a more focused version of Sean Tate in that sometimes he might do something absolutely fucking brilliant, but you know, sometimes he might do, he might just, you know, go for 20 off the over. And there was quite a lot of that in the first part of, uh, the first part of the Indian innings yesterday. Yeah. I'm more, I'm more worried about Stark. Stark's just. Then Stark could be the same, right? Stark could give out eighty runs and then come back and take the tail for six runs. You just, I don't know, but he just seems to be in that, you know, drifting down the leg side, clip him for four sort of phase of yeah that he goes through. I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to see. I'd almost like to see Nisa in there and ahead of him for. You know, just for the conditions, Boland. Hashtag like, Nisa must play. Well, j- I mean, that's kind of what Boland's there for as much as anything. It's kind of like, well, we know he's going to be good in English conditions, and it turns out that he actually was. Um, I feel like Nisa might be a little bit more consistent, and that's probably a useful thing to have. Interesting that this is the first time they've ever played a test match here in June. 
never played like in you know how long's Test cricket been going in in England? They've never played here in June. That's just nuts. That's bizarre because like, June is summer. Summer, yeah. I guess the football season has only just finished, but even so. I guess they don't usually the te- any tours at the Oval. No, they, evidently it's a uh, August. Yeah, it's an August sort of venue. And it's normally um, Lords that gets to open the the summer as much as anything. Which it probably will technically because this is not a no. This is England game. It's a yeah. It's a World Test Championship. And game, so. does the Ashes open at, at Lords or? I don't know. That's a very good question. I, I actually had a feeling that there was some there was some kind of weird twer- quirk of scheduling whereby that we. Couldn't guarantee because Australia always wins that for that first Test match at Lords for whatever reason. Birmingham, 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 Lords, Leeds, Manchester, the Oval. I guess it was just that the, the, the Lords isn't the first Test match, which kind of makes sense. You don't want to have two back to back Test matches in London. They're yeah. not that far away from you know Kennington and um, and St John's. One aren't that far away from each other. Um, I just imagine London to be like a whole bunch of how many football clubs are there in London? Like many, four? not four, because you got all the all the <laughs> lower division ones. But even even just in yeah, yeah well, even just in the Premier League, you got Arsenal, Chelsea, Fulham, West Ham. Um, we probably need to talk about the fact that my my football club won the first trophy since 1980 and their first European trophy since fucking 1965, I think it was. Um, and it, it is a very rare experience to have a f- follow a football club that never wins fucking anything, and then they finally win something because that was that was ex- incredibly cool. And I suppose your club kind of won something by being sold to the San yeah. Francisco 49ers people, and a whole bunch of NBA players bought stakes as well. So I think, a lot, I think there's a lot of that. You know, after LeBron with LeBron's experience with uh, Liverpool, there's a lot of NBA players who are keen to sort of park a bit of cash with some of these consortia. Well, that was the part of the the CBA, right, was that they wanted to be able to buy into WNBA sites. Well, NBA that sites. they weren't able to- You know, they, they wanted to be able yeah. to profit share from the proceeds of the of the league without without there being a conflict of interest, which is why they're essentially setting up like a super fund that invests in multiple yeah. teams and, and you don't really have a say about who you're investing with. Well, I guess if you're a minority owner, you don't get a say anyway. So, why not- have like a players fund that just in buys up minority ownerships. Just just end up the players end up the the, the union ends up owning you know thirty percent of the league or something. I think the problem is that you, um, you wouldn't necessarily want to have the union owning uh, like having any kind of controlling ownership in teams because then they would make decisions in favour of players, not specific players, but players in general, and that wouldn't necessarily be good for you know because sometimes. Ownership, you've got to make decisions against, uh, you know, against the wills of players. It's not good, but it happens. But no, I think you, you made the key point is that if they own, if they own big chunks of minority ownership in teams, when the Suns get sold for four billion dollars, then they make profit back off that, right? It's essentially a dividend to the to the shareholders. It's a dividend to the yeah. to the union. Yeah, uh, and that's exactly why what it's supposed to be is that is that the players have not been profiting from their own labour, in that some of these fucking billionaire dickheads have been making huge amounts of bank. Donald Sterling making $2 billion from his career of racism is uh, a perfect example of that. But also, you know, the, the, the jazz guys and the, and the Lazary with the Bucks and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, 
I do think Australia's going to win. I, I think that they'll. Yeah, but you've I got. I think that their bowlers will be able to get it done. You've got unreasonable confidence. <laughs> yes, I used to have unreasonable true. confidence in the Australian cricket team, and then 2005 happened, and then after that, I've never quite, <laughs> never had the same confidence in them since. And, and I've been back. You know, I've been absolutely uh, proven to be right in that in that respect. Yeah, they've never quite been as uh, dominant, I guess. Impregnable. Yeah. No. Has the Le Mans race finished? Did it did it finish how you expected? Six hours to go. Ferrari are leading. Six hours to go. <laughs> Ferrari on their comeback <laughs> after 50 years away. Their last Le Mans was like 1973. Yeah. Um, they are leading. And everyone's kind of down to one car. Ferrari have got one. Toyota have got one. Cadillac have got one and a half because they've got another car that lap back. Porsche have lost their last good bullet. Um, they were ragging it to try and make up time, and the dude chucked it in the fence. That's not worked out quite so well. So this has been a, f- a really tremendous race. It's been gripping. I am being gripped. Uh, that's why my voice is a bit higher than it should be. But, uh, no, it's been really good. Um, and uh, and a Ferrari still owned by Ferrari? They're not a sub- No, they, you know, I mean, like they a, were- A subgenre of another car they, company? They've been owned by Fiat for, like, 60 years or something, but now uh. they've been kind of spilling off- and um, publicly listed, so I think they are still um, there is still a fair amount of well, Fiat are now owned by a, a group called Stellantis, which is a merger of Fiat, Chrysler, Peugeot, Citroen, Opel. You know, a huge number of different car manufacturers. So technically, they're racing against kind of a distant cousin stablemate in uh, Peugeot because Peugeot are here as well. Uh, they were doing really well, but then yeah. again, it's been a, it's been a big year for people throwing it off the road, and uh, it's been quite a bit of that. The, the best place Persia is fifth at the moment, about two laps back. Every now and again, you see that infographic of like you know the three companies that own most of the food yep. and sort of supermarket brands. You, you know, yes. like all Unilever, the brands General Mills, and yeah, 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 yeah. it's a little bit like that yeah. with cars because you got the, the Volkswagen Audi group, you got Stellantis. Although then you got the big independents like Toyota and and Nissan are part of the alliance with Mitsubishi and Renault, um, yeah. But you know a lot of the others are still independents. Anyway, this this is a very interesting content for a sports podcast. Yeah, I'm going to try and stay up till two in the morning and, and watch the end of this race. So that should be um, ambitious, but hopefully achievable. All right, Doc. All right, you have a good. Uh, this is our last sports podcast before you head off to Denver to uh, to take part in the uh, the parade. The parade. Yeah. And go and headline Red Rocks. Uh, yeah, maybe I will get there. Maybe they will have the parade while I'm there. That'd be fucking cool. <laughs> go and toss some Australian memorabilia at Jokic. That'd be pretty funny. They've got an Australian player in that side. So, But, yes, I'll catch you in two or three weeks, I guess. Yep, and, and uh, Adam's going to uh, stand in your stead for the uh, inevitable victory procession by the uh, the Nuggets next week, and, and we'll know the result of the World Test Championship and uh, – We'll be getting real close to Ash's go time by then. Sounds good, Doc. All right. Catch you later. Cheers. Gary has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. Still doesn't know.